the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by Care Portal. It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Welcome, welcome to the very first episode of Counterculture. I am Jonathan Sanborn. I am your host of a show that I'm super excited to be a part of and passionate about. I'm here in studio with my dear friend Tammy Abernathy, and we'll get to spend some time with her in conversation. So I thought I could first just introduce the show. This is a new format and a new thing. And uh, first, a little bit about me. Uh, just like you to know that I am basically a billionaire playboy th- philanthropist. Uh, yeah, and so, but that's not fully true because over the I've been in ministry probably for thirty years, and it's not quite a billion dollars. It's more in the th- low thousands. So over my career, I've made thousands of dollars. Um, and I'm not really a playboy. I'm actually monogamous. Been married eighteen years. Um, and so I guess I'm sort of a philanthropist. I'm in the, I work in nonprofits. I've been a pastor and worked overseas in development. Uh, I currently am the area director for Care Portal, and we help churches uh, help the children and families in crisis by working with uh, local state child welfare and any agency that is uh, um, working with those who are broken and needy. We want the church to step up. My heart is to see the church shine for Jesus and to be serving those most vulnerable. Uh, so I am now, now we have the opportunity to talk about counterculture. And counterculture, the reason the show exists, goes back for me to a conversation I had in the summer of 91. So I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, in 91, I was in Russia. And this was the end, the end of the Cold War. This was uh, – uh, Russia was opening up. The Soviet Union had collapsed and Russia was opening up. It was a very historic and political time. And so uh, while there during the summer, I sat uh, and, and so in a friend's apartment. His name was Andre and he was my age. He was a college student. And uh, we sat – and it's so common in Russian homes when you sit with uh, – getting to know someone, you show pictures that you have. And so Andre brought out his photo album and it had pictures of his you know, grade schools and all this – his family and vacations and things like that. And, and we would talk about that. And in his grade school uh, picture right next to it was a little drawing that he drew of him – uh, it was like little stick figures battling each other. But in this drawing, it was him. Uh, the, they were shooting Americans. It was Russian soldiers killing Americans and fighting off the, the evil Americans. Well, I knew the Cold War was over, but I also was so blown away because I had drawn the ex- almost the exact same kind of drawings at the same age. I Except instead of killing, obviously, Americans, I was – 
in my little drawings, I was battling the evil Russians who were going to come take over our, our country and destroy us. And so it's not that those political realities aren't important. But at the behind the realities was Andre, was a, a believer in Christ, was a man created in God's image for cre- beautiful things. And he was just like me. But he had just been taught a different way to look at the world. And so had I. And so maybe I didn't understand the world perfectly yet. And maybe I still don't. Maybe I, I still have questions. But God has consistently put me uh, in seeing different sides of issues that I've often thought I thought I knew really clearly. And so today, we're going to spend some time on a hot issue. It's the issue of abortion and how our, and it's perhaps one of the, mo- one of the most, if not the most, divided is- dividing issue in at least in our culture today. And I get to talk with my friend Tammy. And first off, Tammy, just like to introduce yourself of who you are and what, what you're about. So my name is Tammy, and I am the CEO of Hope Women's Center. We are a Christian resource and referral center for women and teen girls. We have five locations across the valley. And we our goal is to meet a woman or a teen girl where she's at, to hear her story, to walk alongside her. And we have a very holistic program approach. How do we help her physically? Because that's often what she comes in with the greatest need emotionally and spiritually. And how can we help meet those needs um, in a way that just embraces her? We're a safe place. We're trauma-informed care center. So safety, her emotional safety, her well-being is really important to us and that she knows that there's nothing that's going to keep her from getting our love and our care and our focus on her. That's fantastic. And so how long has this ministry been uh, open? We have been going since the 1980s. We actually started as a traditional um, crisis pregnancy center. And then in the 2000s, we expanded our mission and vision because we were seeing women coming in, not just with that unplanned pregnancy, but she was dealing with domestic violence, poverty, single mom, so many other struggles that we really realized we needed to expand to meet a more holistic need for her. That's fantastic. And how many locations do you have? We have five locations. Five locations. Headquarters is Phoenix, and then we have an East Valley, a West Valley, and two in Pinal County. Oh, fantastic. So before – that's your mission. This is what you're, you've been about as long, yes. almost as long as I've known you. Mm-hmm. You've had a, a, a dedication right. and a serving. We've known each other probably about 25 years yeah. or maybe or the so. the 80s. <laughs> yeah, and I won't tell the audience what you did at Lollapalooza in 1993. So I won't – that doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> leave this room, just so you know. No, I'm, just, oh, I'm just kidding. In I mean, my little conservative circle, probably <laughs> They probably don't even know what Lollapalooza is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my kids would be horrified or, or they would give me a medal if they thought I'd actually gone. But yeah. <laughs> that's true. In certain circles, that's actually a cool thing. So I don't even know what the circles are for this show, but we're, I don't think it matters. It we just matter. want to talk. Yes. Uh, but before we get into that, we, I want to start with a thing I call fake news. So I want to know something that is not true about you and something that is true about you. And I'm going to try to guess which one's true and which one isn't. Okay, are you so ready for this? I am ready for this. Oh. Um, so the first fact that by the time I was 25, I had moved 33 times. So I had 33 different addresses. And no, my father was not in the military. Um, and the second fact is that I seriously considered a career in the CIA when I graduated from college. That's fantastic because <laughs> they're both plausible. See, it's plausibility right here. That's so, right. you know, and you could easily, I could meet. But I am a bit, I'm a bit biased because I know your father. And I mean, I knew your father and he was a wonderful man and he traveled quite a bit. And so I would say the first one is true. And the second one, the CIA dream was fake news. 
you would be wrong. Oh, <laughs> oh. Okay. But the, you would be right in the fact that we did travel a bit. And so it was actually I was 18 and 18. we had moved 33 times. But my degree was in political science and economics with a specialty in or a specialization in international relations. And man, I just thought I was dying to be in the CIA right. at that time. So <laughs> this is a great way to start a show with humility. <laughs> so I've been humbled in my first approach to my show. <laughs> so – no, I love it. Great. Very, very cool. I could see you that. Yeah. But you so Didn't but you just long, no. yeah. as soon as I thought about right. a family that kind of took that idea out. So, you, so you've never killed a man. I've never killed a man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. That's good no thing. one's listening, you could talk no. about that. That's so okay. Um, well, so now we've talked about the mission of 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 Hope Women's Center, but I want to focus today on the movement. Mm-hmm. You're a part of a movement that's yes. that, that flows through Hope Women's Center. And yes. so why don't you talk about this movement? So the movement is called ProGrace, and they actually have it's – it's its own organization. We've been trained in it at Hope Women's Center, and we are part of the movement. Um, for more information, someone can go to ProGrace.org and learn more. But we – ProGrace is just saying let's have a third way of looking at the issue of abortion and unplanned pregnancy in our culture today. Let's talk about this in a third way because the way that we have to talk about it right now is very polarizing. It's our – Terms have been hijacked by politics. Right. And so there's when, pro-life mm-hmm. and there's pro-choice. And, the pro-choice. and there's no and, there's no middle. And every side views each person views the other side as completely evil. Right. Right. They do. And okay. that's been really hard. And so Progress says, how do we meet in the middle? How do we have a conversation that's in the middle? And that's where at Hope Women's Center, we had for years, of course, being a Christian ministry, we are life supporting. And so we had always used the pro-life um, terms and rhetoric. And we just, it wasn't reaching the hearts of our women. And our ultimate goal is how do we reach women? And how do we really begin a dialogue and a relationship with them? So that's where the language of pro-grace, it gave us a new vision. It gave us a new way of having these conversations. And really what pro-grace is modeled after is how would, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus act, think, and speak about these issues? And we loved it so much. And we saw women respond so well to the grace-based approach and grace language that we implemented across all of our centers and any issue we deal with. We are just a straight pro-grace ministry. So whatever she's facing, we are going to meet her with grace because that's what Jesus did. Absolutely. Now, do you have any personal connection with this this movement, like in terms of how it's affected you, you why this uh, appeals to you personally? I think it just personally? resonated so much for me personally. I raised my kids as a single mom in the church. Um, at that po- at that time, it's been a few decades, but at that time, single parenting was very much shamed, at least in the in the conservative church. I was I was a an unusual. I felt out of place, and so to me, grace and when I experienced God's grace and the transformation of that was so pivotal for me that I wanted women to feel that too. And that's what drew me to Hope Women's Center, but also to this language of grace. I never see in scripture where shame has any value or wherever wherever Jesus never uses shame. And I never see in life where shame really has any value in convincing somebody or or making somebody see a different portrait. And so because of that, I love the language of grace because it's an invitation to a conversation. It's an invitation um, to begin a relationship that's based in grace. So how has this polarization hurt women? Like we talk about grace and not shame, but What's the what's the opposite of that? Where I think women uh, feel very caught, and they feel like they're a pawn in a much bigger um, in a much bigger situation. So they feel very caught between the political and the culture, and that nobody really is giving 
a voice to their story, that nobody's looking at their unique story, that they just become an object or a pawn in this conversation. It's very polarizing. Yeah, absolutely. And so because they feel like a pawn, they're likely to be quiet. I mean, what's the response in that? They don't approach any – and they don't approach either side, but they definitely don't approach the church. And that breaks my heart because Jesus is the answer to everything. And Jesus has the grace and the love. He loves them. He pursues them. He cares very much about them. And the fact that they would feel like there's a sense of judgment and shame from the church and therefore not turn to the church just breaks my heart mm. because I don't think the church has handled this issue very well and in a, in a grace-based way. I think out of fear – and out of wanting to have a sense of how we can control the situation, then we have responded in ways that drive women away. In fact, studies have shown that the church is the last place a woman turns for an unplanned pregnancy, even when she is attending a church and is a believer. Yeah. And I think that for me, having kids in their 20s and um, and having them watch watch friends go through these, and real, these situations and realizing that they were not going to turn to the church, even though these were Christian kids, I thought if we are not even communicating to our own kids this issue of grace and that the church is the place where they should be able to go, then we are mm. losing it for mm-hmm. the culture. Tell me if I'm wrong on this statistic, but I had heard something like 90% of people would never approach a church or someone in their church about if they're consider- in talking about this issue because they feel there's just yeah. such a, a militarization of yes. the issue. It very much so. I think it's like uh, – I think Pew Research just did a, a um, study in that and had said that like 7%. And even those that went – to would not even they would not discuss it they would not approach it it yeah it was the last place they turned right which it's also the the shame of like that you it also admitting that you might have had premarital sex which that's, could be a big yes. that's there's that background as well and that's where I feel like the church misses we get so focused on that that we miss the whole issue of her and what she's going through and we put that shame on her so we'll give uh, we'll throw a um, for example we'll throw a baby shower for a woman in the church that's married and expecting but a lot of churches. And Tomar recently looking at this issue would never do that for someone who had an unintended pregnancy out of wedlock. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, we're sending a mixed message. Yeah. We're telling her celebrate and keep this child, but then we can't celebrate with you because there's shame. So mm-hmm. we've got to change, we've got to change the message. Absolutely. Yeah. It creates a second class citizenship if, or, 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 shun, or shunning. And there is a place to discuss the issue of premarital sex, sure. but it's not when she's facing an unplanned pregnancy because it takes two people to have that pregnancy. And yeah. usually the man is not there. It's just her. And she's the one dealing with the shame of all of it, mm. which is a huge burden to carry. Absolutely. So what does the pro-life side need to know about pro Like what if you would say to a group of people who are very passionate pro-life – I think that I would say that when we look at some of the ways that we have expressed that passion in the past, um, if we really study those, we can see that it brings a lot – it adds a lot of shame to her, whether it's picketing, whether it's the words that we use, whether it's the – our passion for the unborn child creates – a feeling of isolation and judgment for her. That's not going to accomplish the results that you want. That only drives people away. So it's being able to embrace the fact that God's heart is for her and for life abundantly for both of them mm-hmm. is huge. So I would say the way that we do that, and I would also say that pro-grace is modeled after Jesus. So mm-hmm. I don't I always tell people it's kind of hard to argue with grace when that's the model Jesus gave us mm-hmm. um, for engaging with people. That it's all, He never compromised his truth, right. but he led there with grace and relationship. He shared mm-hmm. that in relationship. And I think we put the truth before the grace a lot of times. And in our day, we're so divided politically. Everything is viewed politically through our political lens. Right. Well, there's so much. And so how does this 
speak to the, the this issue of, the, of of our hyper politicization in the church. Right, and that's the issue. If you can, if, if a woman can't feel like she is, if she feels like she's a political platform or that you're a political platform, you're not a safe place for her to go. So we work so hard at Hope for her to know that this is a neutral place for you. We want to hear your story. We want to walk with you. Mm-hmm. We are not about a platform, and that's why we changed the language to the pro-grace language because the other language, it's not bad intrinsically, but it has become affiliated with politics, and we're trying to help her see this is a place about you. It's not about politics. Politics. Fantastic. And on the opposite is what do you think the pro-choice side needs to know about pro-grace? I think it's important for the pro-choice side to know that God's heart is for life abundantly for her and the child. I don't think we've done a good job with communicating his heart for the woman, that the best way to care for that child is to care for that woman and vice versa. He created pregnancy to intertwine two human beings in a way that you can't affect do something to one that doesn't impact the other. Mm-hmm. So the best way to come alongside um, that is to come alongside her as a woman and that is and, and to really give her the vision that it is not death to her or death to the child. It's life abundantly for both. That is possible. So at Hope, it's so important that we say to her, not what are you going to do, but what do you need? And let's walk with you, that your value is Mm. critical. And and looking to build bridges, I think the pro-choice side would agree. We both care about the woman. So how do we help the woman? We may, in the end, still disagree about some of it, but that's okay. What What can we agree on? We can agree about making sure she has care that she needs emotionally and physically. Mm, fantastic. Fantastic. And such, so you're in a middle ground. Uh, that's a middle position in some ways. You're, you're embracing aspects of both sides, mm-hmm. but you're also finding a different way of language and approach. So where do you get the most critique on your position? Or <laughs> that's, that's, a hard answer. that's a hot to question. I, that is, um, you can. I get it from both sides. Let me yeah. just say, I definitely get it from both sides. But probably, I think, I think there's a lot of fear on the pro-life side that pro-grace is a compromise. And I just, I go back to how is grace ever? I don't understand how grace is a compromise. Grace is is the model of Jesus. Grace. All I'm doing with grace is saying, you're welcome here. Come to the table because I've done things that I in my life that aren't the best, but God loves me. He pursues me. I'm invited to that table. And that's the invitation for her. Come to the table just as you are. Just as you are. And even if you make a decision that would be a different decision than I would make, you know what? There's grace and you're welcome back. There is nothing that is going to keep us from serving you. And so there's no unforgivable sin, no unforgivable sin, nothing. We're still going to love you and walk with you and care for you in the same way that we would have, no matter what decision you make. And I think that's important. And I think the pro-choice side still fears to a certain extent that there's a hidden agenda. And that's also where we go back and say, you know, we're here to love her and walk with her. I'm not making the decision for her. She's an adult. She's going to make her decision, and I'm going to love her, and I'm going to walk with her, even if she makes a decision that would be different than what I would make. Mm-hmm. I'm not walking in her shoes. Mm-hmm. I can love her, and I can give her a vision for abundancy, mm-hmm. where most of the women that I work with, they don't, they're not looking to end that pregnancy. They just don't see another way. So I get the opportunity to walk with her and to give her a vision so that her choice when she makes it is based on a full amount of information and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I see God really ch- – I see the relief when she goes, I, I could do this. Or I know with this support, I could – I don't have to make the choice that I thought I had to make. Mm. Um, it's it's mm. transformational. I was talking – I'm on the board of a women's center in Tucson. And uh, some they've had a woman who came in and said, I don't have enough money to pay my $180 electric bill. Um, and I think I'm going to get an abortion. And 
to think that one hundred eighty dollars would separate, was, would separate yeah. between life and death, like in the sense of yes. of, of ending a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and if, if they, if she knew, like what you're trying to say, that there's help, not just yeah. condemnation. There's help and there's hope. And, and and it's not just help because I think a lot of times I hear women say, "Well, I'm just you just care about me till I have this child." But no, there's help. The church should be there for you when you're. And as a single mom, I am passionate about this. Yes. The church should be there for you when that child's five or twelve or twenty. It doesn't matter that that is what doing life together is about, and that's God's. That is God's view of the church. Yes. That it is a community that surrounds you and walks with you for life, mm-hmm. and that's the vision that we get to give. And I agree with you. I think another thing that I would that I'm always trying to discuss with churches and help break down or some of those preconceived ideas that this is a flippant thing that she's coming in. I party too hard. I'm going to have an abortion. God creates the mother-child bond so strongly that it is. Not, I have not yet seen it to be very flippant. It is a heart-wrenching thing. Mm-hmm. And often it is, do I bring a child into this abusive relationship? Do I bring a child into a situation where my three kids, I can't even put food on the table for them rather than, oh, I just partied too hard? I mean, these are real-life situations. And until you're in proximity to them, until you are sitting across from her and genuinely hearing her story, that's what softens your heart yes. to go, I, these are hard things. I don't know what I would do in her situation in terms of the, the, just the heart-wrenching struggle. So when I can identify with that, then that gives me a spirit of grace. And then I get the joy of saying, I can, I can help with that electric bill. Yeah. I can connect you to a job or to a different living situation where you know your kids are going to be taken mm-hmm. care of. She's not an issue. She's a person. She is a person. A, person. a daughter. Like me. Yes. She is an image bearer like me. Yes. Um, yeah. what, uh, what could churches do to grow in being a more pro-grace approach? I'd love to give them training in that. So ProGrace actually has a very robust training program for churches and how to change their language and approach to be a more grace-based welcome. It doesn't change their passion for life. It just changes the way that they communicate that in a way that gives value to the woman and the child. And as I've seen churches embrace that, and several here in the Phoenix area have, um, they have remarkable stories about how God has changed them in the process as well as the women that he is bringing them. And I think... If you look at statistically, there are a lot of women sitting in our churches, one in four, that have had abortions. And so when we are able one to – One in four. One in big four number. in the churches have had abortions. Right. And so when we are able to talk – they are – most of the time, that for them is the unpardonable sin that they can't talk about. So when we are able to create an environment of grace, then they are also free to be able to share their story and to find healing. Mm-hmm. And that has been a beautiful thing as well as I see churches embrace this language and women feeling free to talk about this for the first time ever, that they've kept it so buried, so deep because of mm-hmm. shame. That's where I go back to the toxicity of shame. It yes. just doesn't help. Absolutely. And and I, the other side of this conversation as well as men, mm-hmm. and uh, if, if there's one in four women, there's one in four men right. who have probably caused an abortion. Right. Statistically, right. you would yep. probably could say that's the case. And I know we can also in the church do more to give opportunities for healing, for grace, and uh, o- owning our past mm-hmm. and owning our responsibilities, but also knowing that there's grace ahead and there's hope in the future. Yes. It's been interesting how many pastors have this as part of their story um, as a young man. And it's and I have, and as I hear the grace transform them and the freedom to talk about it, what a powerful testimony it then becomes to the transformation of grace, to be able to say, yeah, I know. I know how hard this is. I've, I've made choices like this, and I know the pain of that, but I also know the healing on the other side of that. Mm. Um, 
So do all your uh, volunteers and employees have this grace mentality? They do. So we take everyone through this training. They have to be a volunteer at any level. They have to go through some pro-grace training. And then any of our mentors that are working directly with women through pregnancy testing have to go through an extensive training. It's the language of our ministry is grace. Oh, that's that's fantastic. How else can people get involved with Hope Women's Center? So our website, hopewomencenter.org, lists lots of volunteer opportunities, individuals, groups, um, even helping right now during the pandemic and helping provide extra material resources. We give food and toiletries and diapers and items to our families every day, and they, they are able to earn points to get those. So being able to come alongside, all of that's provided by the community. So being able to get involved as a volunteer or helping provide material resources is great. This has been an amazing conversation. I've so appreciated you taking the time to hear about Hope Women's Center as well as this wonderful movement of pro-grace. I do think if we want to be like Jesus, this is this is a much clo- – we're moving closer to his heart by showing the grace to those who are most hurting. Yes. And so I so appreciate you sharing this story and, and some of this give, – give us a bit, uh, bigger eyes to see uh, not just uh, one side of it but see – see it from both sides. It's such an uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your work in this field. Um, so this is what counterculture is about. This is it. We get into messy stuff, but we try to hopefully look at, at, at uh, issues from both sides and look at the people who've gone into the middle and tried to maybe change the, change the equation, change the dialogue. And we hope we have lots of great new conversations, more conversations going forward. Thank you for your time. Thank, thank you for, for li- Thank you, Katamini. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And more super exciting things ahead. This is Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org. This program was sponsored by Care Portal. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.